today on Ag News Daily. Uh, and ethanol plants a lot like a science fair experiment. It's biological, it's moving, it's, you know, we have people manning uh, control towers day and night. And what Imogen does is it brings a new level of performance inside the ethanol plant. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Hashtag Tech Tuesday. My name is Hannah Pagel. Starting the podcast for you on this June 19th, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing? Fantastic, Ms. Pagel. How are you? I'm doing great. And we are also joined by Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm not too bad. I can't complain. That's great to hear. And uh, is it still raining in your guys' neck of the woods? or it's, It kind of stopped raining up here in Ames, but it's been mm-hmm. raining all morning, so... Yeah, it's been gross here. Yeah, we caught uh, quite a bit of rain this morning. It came in a downpour, zero wind, just rain falling straight down. I think we probably got about a half inch in an hour, and then it's moved on. And now if I look to the south, I see very, very dark clouds. But hopefully they're heading down towards southeastern Iowa Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, parts of western Illinois that I know are still dry. But... Does anybody have yesterday's crop conditions to report on? Do you have it? You sound like you do. Well, I was going to ask if somebody else did, and I would throw it to them. But if you don't, I do have it. Well, we're being joined again today by our Tech Tuesday sponsor, Nick Horeb from Harvest Profit. And Nick, you guys just got off that great promotion there with LibreCart. Producers are thinking ahead, but what are they doing with the Harvest Profit software this time of year? Yeah, Delaney, I just got off the phone with one of our customers who was updating their as-applied rates on some different fields and basically looking at where the market is at today versus their you know, their average sales and doing some planning as far as different uh, applications that they're maybe going to be doing here in the next week or two. So evaluating uh, from an economic standpoint, if they should be side dressing some more nitrogen. And then uh, in addition, we've seen a fall off in the markets and just readjusting their targets and, and maybe lowering the target for their next sale. And that can be old crop or new crop. So really, it's just freshening up the numbers. We're just kind of in the midst of spraying season, probably going to put this first spraying pass in the rearview mirror here in the, in the next week or two. And so just using the software to get a, a live look at you know, the business side of their farm and specifically uh, where their cost of production uh, is likely to come in and use that to guide all sorts of business decisions from input applications to grain marketing to uh, talking to their bank. So just keeping an eye on those numbers and just keeping them fresh during the growing season is what our users are up to right now. All right. And folks, if you have more questions, you can always head to harvestprofit.com. All right, Mike. Well, I guess I'll read it for today. We have corn emerged. Um, the 18 states that produce most of the corn are at 97. No, I'm sorry. We're at 98% emerged as of June 17th. Um, for corn condition ratings, sitting about 59% good, 18% fair, 3% poor, and 1% very poor, and then 19% excellent. So sitting mostly in that good range, which isn't, I guess, too bad. Yeah, 78% uh, then, good to excellent. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's a good-looking corn crop. 
Yeah. Then for soybeans, we've got about 97% planted. When we look at condition ratings, we've got, let's see here, um, about 58% good and 15% excellent. So again, pretty good numbers there. Cotton is uh, sitting at 95% planted. I'm sure this one's going to be an interesting, yeah, here we go. So good to excellent ratings there. Um, sitting about 33% good and only 5% excellent. Most of it looks like it's sitting in the fair to poor range for cotton, which is, I guess, probably what we were expecting, is it not? Yeah, I think so. I didn't expect it to be that bad. But again, I don't follow cotton all that closely. And that certainly explains the, uh, well, a rally we'd seen. Yeah. And let's say uh, winter wheat, we've got 95% planted. The crop progress Conditions report sitting about 30% good, 9% excellent, and again, sitting mostly to fair, poor, or very poor in the winter wheat conditions. Spring wheat, we are sitting um, about the same. Um, actually, no, we're, at, we're doing a little bit better than what I anticipated. We're at 64% good for spring wheat, so... All right. Well, there we go. There's your update. So, yeah, decent decent crops with the exception of cotton. That's the one that yeah. jumps out at us. Is, and is winter wheat. Not sounding great either. Wheat, right. yeah. yeah. Well, Hannah, what's jumping out at you when you're looking at the world of agricultural news today? Well, should we just kick it right off the bat with uh, tariffs? Yeah. yeah, let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's do it. Okay, mm-hmm. so... Last night, President Donald Trump announced that he was going to up the threat of tariffs on Chinese goods by an additional $200 billion. So he first hit China with $50 billion worth of tariffs on Friday, and that was to punish the country for intellectual intellectual property theft. And then, of course, China retaliated back. And to me, when I've been reading different articles about this um, this issue, it just seems like it's kind of like a my horse is bigger than your horse. Like, I'm just going to keep one upping you here. And so that's just where it kind of seems to be going, because now Trump has announced that they will identify new products to put the 200, 200 billion dollars worth of tariffs on. And then if China does retaliate again, they're going to hit them with another 200 billion dollars worth. So that's what I have on that. Yeah. so far. What are your guys' thoughts? And. Just to clarify, he's threatening to put a $200 billion worth tariff on, but the tariff itself is only for 10% of That's those right. products. That's yep. right. Just Thank you clarify. for clarifying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. But, yeah, that's obviously um, taking over trade news today, and the soybean markets in particular did not react favorably to this news. No, no, they certainly did not, because China came out and said they will put yeah. a 25 percent tariff yeah. on 13.93 billion dollars worth of American soybeans. And then, of course, with Trump's new announcement, that would be expected to go up. And it is just, you know, trade wars are one of the few things where the point of the trade war, and Hannah, you're exactly right, it's a tit for tat. If, if you do this, well, then golly gosh, I'll do this and I'll raise tariffs. And it's it's one of the few wars where you punch yourself in the face to punish a competitor. Because <laughs> That's a an tariff, analogy. Well, yeah, because a tariff, we're not putting a tariff, the Chinese aren't paying this tariff. American consumers are paying an additional tax to buy this stuff from China. That's what a tariff is. It's a tax on consumers in this country. If 
the Trump administration is putting tariffs on. And if the government in Beijing puts tariffs on, it's a tax on the Chinese consumer. So it's a very, very bizarre mm-hmm. concept. And, uh, you know, the good news is I think we saw the trade overnight get very, very nervous with trade issues. We have the combination of a decent soybean crop. We've got China rattling their savers with trade. We saw soybeans, geez, what, 60 cents down in the front yeah, month uh, soybean contract. I was talking to some folks on Twitter that were seeing cash beans in the sevens up in South Dakota and in Minnesota. And, you know, those are prices we haven't seen in 10 plus years. Luckily, as the morning wore on, I think people sort of got their wits about them a little bit. We brought the market back. Both the corn and beans had a, well, a really nice recovery considering how far down they were early in the day. But still, you know, we, we do have threats to, uh, you know, uh, prices out there because uh, I'm wondering, they're going to continue to sell commodities. Yeah. I'm wondering when was the last time we dipped below eight, I mean, nine dollars in the soybean futures because we're now sitting at eight eighty nine in the July front month contract here. And um, that's been it's a hard one, I think, for producers to swallow today. My other thought about all of this is and I think I've mentioned it before. Where is Ambassador Brandstead in all of this? He was sent to China because he was such great friends with President Xi. And literally, we've heard nothing about him or what he's doing to, like, help calm the situation while he's been there. Really good point, Delaney. Yeah. I don't yeah. quite know. The heck? Where is he? Seriously. Yeah. You know, I, so I just Googled Governor Brandstead or Ambassador Brandstead to see if he's been in any news stories that we just have missed. And I'm not seeing much. So, yeah, yeah, hopefully he's working behind the scenes trying to calm them down. But, yeah, it's sad we haven't heard more from our ambassador over there with ties to agriculture. Right. I guess I my know. question is, is uh, where will it end? I mean, like, I, can you put tariffs up to the point where literally you just don't trade with them anymore? Or how did... Mm-hmm. Well, that would be an embargo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... You know, I I don't know. I guess tariffs are something that's not necessarily new to me, but like just the process of learning about it just seems very mind boggling. That's for sure. But yeah, I just want to know how far will we go? And nobody knows. You know, I think that's the answer. And this is, Hannah, really, you say they're not new to you. But realistically, the type of trade war we're engaging in where we have tariffs on a broad-based section of goods from a country, we haven't seen since probably the 80s. Uh, we've had tariffs before. The Obama administration put tariffs on uh, Chinese tires and uh, Chinese uh, solar panels, I want to say. And the Bush administration put tariffs on a few select Chinese products. But this is really the first time in your lifetime, in my lifetime, in Delaney's lifetime, that mm-hmm. we have seen an administration go out and say, you know what, we're going to put tariffs on X number of dollars worth of things from your country, and boom, we're just going to keep escalating it. So it is kind of new, and I think when we look at how the market is reacting to these tariff announcements, I think that's part of it. So much of the trade, the folks who are literally in the pits or in front of their computers trading commodities or uh, stock futures or equity markets, they've never lived through this kind of an event before, which really makes it a lot more uncertain and is increasing the volatility. So it's just yeah. uncharted waters, essentially. Mm-hmm. It 
is. Well, let's see. What else? I could go on for trade for yeah, hours, and I won't. I'm done with that. We're, we're going to have a good conversation about trade, hopefully later this week. We're working on lining up some interviews to help shed some light on this. But uh, what else is jumping out at you, Delaney? Yeah, I'll jump in here with some news about wheat imports. Thankfully, not U.S. wheat imports, but South Korea and Japan have suspended wheat imports from Canada after they discovered some genetically modified herbicide-tolerant wheat. I think it was a Monsanto variety that they found. Um, and there was no evidence that it made, it made it into their food supply. But, of course, those are two big countries that don't approve of those GM products. So, I don't know, maybe we'll see some uh, wheat heading to South Korea or Japan, filling up those markets. Yeah, some U.S. wheat. That'd be good news Mm -hmm. for uh, wheat growers, and they could almost uh, get it at a discount today. That's Yeah, no kidding. I've got a little bit of health care news. You know, uh, I'm sure you two hear about this when you're out talking with growers and farmers. One of the biggest expenses that isn't farm-related is health insurance. I mean, this is a huge nightmare for a lot of folks. And there might be some relief. Chris Clayton over at DTN is reporting on the progress right now in the uh, U.S. Department of Labor, which has a proposal that would allow these programs called Association Health Plans, or AHPs. And basically, these AHPs allow groups of businesses that share a, quote, commonality of interests. And one of those commonalities of interest is agriculture. And what this would do is it would allow groups of farmers to come together to purchase group health care plans, even though they are sole proprietors. And hopefully this would be a way to get a lot of them out of that individual market where the premiums have skyrocketed and get them into a cheaper health insurance program. But it looks like we're still a little ways away. The DOL rule should be coming out here, Chris Clayton says, any minute now. But we won't get funding for this type of proposal until the farm bill passes, and it currently has $65 million in grants available to trade associations like Farm Bureau or Farmers Union or other groups that would allow them to put these type of plans together and bring groups of farmers together to uh, purchase health care. But this is, I think, good news for a lot of those folks who are watching their budgets a little more closely this year, trying to figure out where they can cut some costs. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like that. Mm-hmm. Health insurance is expensive. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm still my parents' health insurance, so I don't want to have to deal with this ever. Right, right. We're going to have to, uh, in what, two or three years, whenever you're old you enough, we're going to have to find a bunch of other podcasts and form an association healthcare plan. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. I'd be down for that. I know. We're going to have to start reaching out. Shark Farmer, <laughs> if you're listening, reach out to us. Let's get some cheap healthcare. <laughs> Well, the only other news that I have for you guys today is I just wanted to do another update. I I touched on this yesterday about uh, meat that's grown in a Petri dish. Uh, They came out with another, the FDA came out with another report that they are looking at having the meeting on July 12th to discuss through some questions, and they have outlined what some of those questions that they are looking at getting answered on that day about cultured, uh, cultured meat. And some of them, of course, the first one is how are we going to label this meat uh, just so that way consumers have that transparency. And then the second one is what variations could happen using this method of manufacturing. So, you know, could there be adverse health effects? What is going Mm -hmm. on? Could it be different than obviously the type of meat that we eat from animals? And then the second is what kind of substance do you use 
to start the initial sample to grow the food. So what what are you looking at when you start the process of cultured meat? Does it have to be a certain type of, I don't know, cleanliness? Or they're looking at how do you start the process and what type of meat sample you can and cannot use. And then, again, is there potential hazards just with the safety of the food versus traditional food production slash processing? And then is there any unique control measures that need to be addressed with potential hazards and whatnot? So these are the questions that they are looking at getting answers answers from. But then also, again, the public can attend this meeting to make their voices heard. I know there are a few associations that are um, heavily campaigning uh, to make sure that you know, this is labeled a certain way and whatnot. So listeners, if you're interested, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can attend this meeting as well on July 12th. You know, it's it's interesting. I'd never considered contamination and stuff. But if I'm a guy working at a lab that is making fake meat and I've got a Petri dish full of the goo and I sneeze in it, will it create me? That Like with my cells? You know, the imagination is <laughs> anything is possible, but I honestly, <laughs> that I really don't know how that all works. And just like with contamination, is it more like receptible? Is that the right word for like diseases like E. coli or something? Like, I, I don't oh. know. You know, you Bro. never really know what you're doing. I mean, it's in a controlled lab setting. Obviously, they're going to take as much protective measurements that they can to ensure the safety of this food. But at the same time, you're kind of, again, it's uncharted water, so you really don't know what you're getting into. You bet. And at least I know when I'm buying cows or beef that comes from a steer, it's wrapped in a protective leather case the entire time it's alive, and that keeps it very safe. That's what I like about about steer-made beef. I think they do it right. They've got good quality control there, those, uh, those beeves do. Well, let's see, Hannah, before we get to today's conversation about Enogen corn, why don't we take a look at the markets? What do you think? I think that sounds great, Mike. Get us into them. Let's do it, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Once again, we are seeing volatility in the commodity markets. This is where it helps to have a marketing plan in place. Our friends at Zaner can help you put one together. Give them a call at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. And again, tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, let's run down the screen here of the grains. As I mentioned, we do have a lot of red on the screen, but the red is not as bloody as it would have been about four hours ago during the middle of the trading session. In the corn market, the July corn contract closed down two and a quarter cents at 353 and three quarters. The December was down one and three quarters to finish at 375 and a half. In soybeans, July was down 19 and a half cents, finished the day at 889 even. November new crop contract down 20 and a half cents, closed at 911. Even. And in Chicago wheat, July was off 12 and a quarter cents at 477 and three quarters. The September contract was down 12 cents even, finished the day at 489 and a half. Jumping over on the livestock side, beef did respond positively to this drop in feed values. Uh, June live cattle up 22 and a half cents at 108.52.50. The August up a dollar 25, closed at 106.42.50. 
In feeder cattle, the August contract was up 65 cents at 149.62 and a half, and September was up 77 and a half cents, closed the day at 149.90. Looking at lean hogs, they did face some pressure today. The July contract was down to $1.85 to finish at 81.87.50. The August was down $1.70 even to close at 77.72 and a half. And a look over at the dairy market. Class 3 milk June contract off a penny at 15.32 and the July down 4 cents. Close the day at 15.15. Before we get into that hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seats. Joining us this week is Phil Long, the agronomy specialist up at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Phil, we've heard from growers that Japanese beetles are starting to make their appearance known. Boy, what should they be thinking of this time of year? Yeah, Mike, I mean, the, the Japanese beetles seem like they're coming out about the same time as the June beetles this year. I mean, it's just, uh, they're a little ahead of schedule. I know reports all across the state, especially here in the northern part. Uh, if you look at the calendar and kind of what we've seen the past 30 years, we're about two to 300 uh, growing degree units above average, which uh, makes sense with all the hot temperatures we've had. So it kind of pushed those Japanese beetles out of the ground a little faster than normal. And, um, you know, gotta, you just got to remember the important parts. Usually their, their, their defoliation is not as big of a deal. It's usually the silk clipping and corn, which we're not there yet. But we've got a lot of small beans, especially in the northern part of the state. And I've seen a lot of setback by herbicides or other things. So they're, they're just not as good a health as, as normal. So uh, just pay attention to those types of fields because Japanese beetles can really uh, go to town pretty quick on, on small plants, you know, and your threshold is usually around 30% defoliation, uh, especially before bloom and after bloom, it's more like 20, 20% defoliation when, when you should spray. So uh, just keep those things in mind as, as you're looking at those small beans that are trying to ca- play catch up. Perfect. And folks, if you want to work with a company as quality as Latham High Tech Seeds, you can give them a shout at one eight seven seven go latham or visit their website at LathamSeeds.com. All right, folks. Well, it is hashtag Tech Tuesday, and I have had a series of technological troubles trying to get everybody on the call. But I am here with Chris Tingle, and he is the head of commercial grower operations with Syngenta. And Chris, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Now, we want to talk to you specifically about a Syngenta product called Enogen. Could you give us the 10,000-foot the view? What is Enogen? Well, first of all, Enogen is, a, is an output trait. Um, it's a GMO trait that uh, the smart people in Syngenta spent, uh, you know, 10, 12 years uh, isolating the enzyme and um, actually getting it to express in a kernel of grain. Uh, the cool thing about Enogen is it's the alpha amylase enzyme that the kernel expresses, <clears throat> excuse me, or contains. And... Um, that's a, a key ingredient in the process of uh, producing ethanol. What does it do? Uh, the key thing that, that Enogen does or Alpha Amylase does is, is break down starches into sugars. Okay. Breaks down yep. starches into sugars, which is, I mean, that's basically what ethanol is all about, right? We create it into yeah, a, yeah. <clears throat> convert it to a sugar and then uh, ferment it and get, uh, you know, Delicious alcohol exactly. for our vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's really a unique enzyme in that it, it works over a wide range of, of pHs and um, is extremely thermostable. Um, so when 
Uh, and ethanol plants a lot like a science fair experiment. It's biological. It's moving. It's you know we have people manning uh, control towers day and night, adjusting dials, you know increasing heat, you know different pumps, and and what Enogen does is it brings a new level of performance inside the ethanol plant uh, because it it breaks down starches into to very small chain sugars. And okay. So it's breaking them down. So in under just yellow number two corn, basically what we've been creating ethanol with for a while, we've got to add something to the ethanol mix to get it to break down. And with Enogen, we're we're adding less of the thing. Is that the uh, is that the competitive advantage there with Enogen? Well, it's actually replacing it. If you looked at oh. a traditional ethanol plant that is is you know it's not using Enogen, so they're grinding yellow corn, uh, number two corn there into their mash. And through, through the, when, the, when, the gr- when the mash leaves the, the hammer mill, they're adding you know, water and uh, alpha amylase. It may come in a liquid tote that's commercially available and begins the, you know, breaking the starches to sugar and ultimately the fermentation process. What we're able to do with Enogen is a, a portion of the corn that is ground uh, contains Enogen. So it's, think about it as a two-way stream of corn coming into the hammer mill, you've got yellow corn, about 85% yellow corn, and about 15% enogen metered in. And when we add the water, then our enzyme's already in the mash. There is no secondary addition of product there. Fascinating. Okay. And so because it's so stable, it can work through the whole process, and basically we're, we're just cutting out an entire input for an ethanol plant. Yeah, uh, replacing an input with uh, you know, something that their their local corn growers can provide them now versus uh, you know a third party. They may be buying totes of this or you know rail car loads. So you know depending now, the local corn grower is now their enzyme supplier. Absolutely, it's always good to find a way to add value back to those local growers, and. That kind of leads us to my next question. How long has Enogen been out there? When was it developed? When was it first rolled out on the ground, so to speak? Yeah, so it's got a long, rich history in our R&D pipeline. Um, as I understand it, the, the enzyme was actually discovered in an underwater volcano. <laughs> no, no clue Seriously. why we were while we were there snooping around, or someone was, but uh, you know that all started there, which which leads to a bit of its flexibility. Uh, but uh, you know, we we began a commercial business in ethanol seven years ago. Uh, started with two pilot ethanol plants, and uh, today, seven years later, we'll begin uh, contracting with uh, 31 ethanol plants. So pretty rapid adoption when you look at the business year on year. It's, it's basically doubled every year since its inception of ethanol plants adopting the technology. And you mentioned it works well in pretty much all PHs, are you seeing adoption of ethanol plants around the country? Yeah, right now uh, we'll be using Enogen all the way from uh, Virginia um, down to the panhandle of Texas and upwards to North Dakota and, and Michigan. So uh, it's pretty widespread. Um, you know, the pH adapt- adoption there, you know, allows us to also save some input cost on the ethanol plant. At times they're adding urea or even, you know, some uh, other basic materials to help try to maintain a pH. And so being able to do that, uh, you know, avoids uh, another cost for the plant as well. Gotcha. 
Now, when, when you at Syngenta, when you look out over the next five to ten years, you mentioned 15% of the grind, you know, could be energy and seed corn, or energy and corn, rather. What does the, the total market availability for energy look like? That how many acres, theoretically, if every plant adopts it, could we plant in this country? Yeah, it's it's a great question, um, and, and one that my my boss challenges with me often. <laughs> you know, what 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 is uh, what's that? That's the best you can do. And it's like, well, you know, right. right. I always remind him that in in, in six short years we've got twenty percent of the market share. So we believe when you look at the the different ethanol plants that are in the market today, there's there's roughly a hundred and sixty, hundred sixty five maybe uh that can utilize the technology um that, that energy can provide and you know we have a full team here at Syngenta dedicated to to calling on those plants and sharing the value and the story around Energen and you know uh, it's a it's a process because and and, and the adoption you know is is can be somewhat slow because you are radically changing how a plant operates from a supply chain mentality and so, you know, being needing to grow the corn, harvest the corn, you know, deliver the corn to the ethanol plant, uh, you know, this is a this is maybe an 18 month, two year journey from where a plant says, hey, I need, to, I'd like to use Enogen in a new area, and then you know we would then engage growers to plant that crop, grow that crop, and ultimately deliver that grain. So. It's 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 really uh, follows our our agronomy cycle we call it and so that impacts us a bit but uh, you know the recruitment teams heavily engage with a number of prospects um, we're the the sole alpha amylase supplier for Green Plains Renewable Energy which is the third or fourth largest uh, ethanol producer in the world depending on which uh, which scale you look at there so uh, when you have big bell cows like that that are publicly traded and watching every penny. Uh, they, they've adopted the technology, so others are, are quickly looking and saying, you know, I need to take advantage of this, too, to remain competitive. Right, and I would suppose that from an ethanol plant's perspective, when I'm looking at making that shift from purchasing uh, the chemical off the, or the, the enzyme from off the shelf versus going with corn, a corn grower, is there... At today's corn prices, can they offer enough of a premium to those growers to justify the addition of energy to the mix? And does it still make cost sense for an ethanol plant to, you know, work with X number of growers in a, you know, area and grow it sure. that way versus get it in a tote? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's uh, energy adoption in the ethanol industry, the, the technical value we deliver obviously uh, through not only our R&D trials but also in working with these 31 ethanol plants uh, we can demonstrate you know what is the value energy brings to your plant in reduced energy savings um, and not just reduced energy use you know natural gas water uh, you know the technology because it's so unique and different you know can can allow a plant to produce more ethanol than it can without energy Oh. And so if so if you you know we're we're able to load a tremendous number of solids they call it uh, that will ultimately ferment into alcohol and so if you have a 50 million gallon ethanol plant if you use Enogen you might be able to produce 55 or maybe even 60 million gallons. Oh. Uh, the other benefit of Enogen is that it allows you to extract more of the starch out of the kernel. So when we think about our distiller's grains going out the, the back of an ethanol plant, you know, we're achieving a very high 
uh, starch extraction, very low residual starch in those distiller's grains, so they're able to get more ethanol out of a bushel of corn. Um, so with that value, I mean, our business model um, has been over the last six years is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to charge the ethanol plant a, a technology fee. You know, we want you to adopt Indigen so we can sell the seed to your local sure. growers. And instead of paying your, you know, traditional enzyme provider for that tote, we want you to pay the growers a premium. And, you know, that may range from 35 to 40 cents depending on the market. Uh, but, you know, basically taking their local supply chain and a portion of that, those growers, and they are their enzyme suppliers. And right. so, yeah, and, and you know, it, this fall, uh, over our, our seven-year period of, of commercialization with Enogen, the ethanol space, the ethanol industry will have paid Enogen corn growers over $100 million in premiums. Hmm. Not bad. Not bad uh, at all over seven years. Yeah, and so, I mean, if you think about, you know, the story I always say is, well, they're not building ethanol plants in Des Moines or Minneapolis. These are in rural you know, communities, and, you know, we're able to keep those dollars local. You bet. And, and when so, we look out at the world of international trade today, there's all sorts of uncertainties. So if we can get a premium here at home, that's an advantage for a grower. Exactly. And, and, you know, I think that's, that's clearly the, you know, it's a, it's a win for the ethanol plant when we look at just the technical profile. A win for the grower, obviously they're, they're producing a value added crop and are being rewarded to do that. And then, you know, those dollars, they don't leave those communities without changing hands a few times. And so when you think about the, the local parts store or the, the restaurants and some of these rural economies, I mean, the benefits of Indigen are keeping those communities sustainable and economical here in, in more challenging times. So we like to say it's a win for the rural economy as well. You bet. Now, Chris, when you look out a little longer term and I hear an enzyme that can break down these starches into simple sugars, I've got to imagine that would have some value for livestock producers in addition to <laughs> ethanol plants. Am I on the right page here? Yeah, you are. You are. This is this is something we, we were keyed into, uh, but probably say 10 or 12 years ago in the process. I mean, fundamentally, it makes sense. Um, uh, when we launched Indigen and really went through our deregula deregulation process, uh, it was right at the boom of, of ethanol production. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at the scale and the number of plants that were being built and, and ramping up, uh, we were right in line with that. And, and being able to focus our business efforts on ethanol made the most sense. But we always knew fundamentally um, you know, if we can pull this off in the ethanol space, you know, around it being an output trait and identity preserved and make sure that our stewardship and our contracting are sound, uh, that we would begin to expand that market into, into the livestock market. And then 2017, uh, we were able to do what we call a commercial pilot and really targeting, uh, both dairy and, and beef cattle. Um, partners like uh, University of Nebraska at Lincoln have conducted some research trials that helped build our internal database of saying, hey, this is, this, this, is, this adds about 5%, guys. Just replace your corn, uh, is what the, Galen Erickson, uh, the extension beef specialist for Nebraska, has publicly stated, and he's helped us really understand this value in corn. And, you know, you know that comes out to about $27 per head of cow above and beyond what we're seeing in, you know, traditional dry ground, dry roll corn uh, feeding systems. You bet. Uh, and is that feeding 100% antigen? Is that what the trials were focused on? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, much, uh, you know, when you look in the ethanol space, there there has to be a right blend, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for 
to be economical for the plant, but for the livestock producer that's growing their own feed, uh, you know, they want to feed 100% indigen. And, and quite frankly, uh, if I could get a, a cow to get up to about 192 degrees Fahrenheit inside, <laughs> it may even add more value. But, you know, I, we're not even on uh, the peak of the enzyme activity in livestock, and we're already seeing these benefits. Wow. Wow. So there, there's a lot of opportunity coming when, based on the, the research you've done so far, so you've got ethanol rocking and rolling continues to grow. When would you expect to see more commercial availability for livestock producers? Two to three years away yet? No, I think, uh, I think as early as, as next year, we'll begin to see a more rapid adoption. Uh, I think as we move into this 2018 planting season right now, we, we've probably got 175, 180,000 acres planted oh, wow. uh, with livestock producers, you know, some, um, dairy producers or, or even beef cattle, um, and, and looking at expanding those markets even more into to 2019. So uh, quite quite a, again, this, this indigen is a double-double. That's what in 17 we, you know, we've had a, uh, we went from, about 75,000 acres to you know, 150,000 acres. Now we're, we're, we're creeping in on this, you know, 180,000. So it's uh, it's a rapidly developing market that uh, we we firmly believe in that we're we're adding value in some critical economic times to our producers. You bet. And Chris, if growers are listening and they're getting fired up about it, what? With everything, there come trade-offs. What are you looking at from a yield perspective or from a from a trait perspective? What are we giving up to get these advantages through energy? You know, that's that's a, it's always the question because I think that's that's how we've been tuned in. If you're getting, you know, too too much of a good thing, you have to be sacrificing something. And, and what we found in, in all of our our what we do is internal trials to well, we compare genetic isolines, one that contains the energy trait and one that doesn't. But everything else about those hybrids are identical. And for five to six years, we, you know, we've seen plus or minus a half a bushel difference over over many trials. And actually, when we get into the commercial grower trials, um, we find that our yields are actually higher than those hybrids that don't contain energy, substantially higher. Wow. I think a lot of that has to do with the, the grower's mentality of planting a value-added crop. They're right. going to manage it more intently. They're going to invest a little bit more. And so uh, to date, we've not seen any negative yield or agronomic attributes in, in growing energy. I mean, we manage it just like you would your normal corn. The end use is where the value comes in. You bet. Chris, if we've got listeners who are interested, whether they're ethanol plants or producers, where should they go to get more info on Enogen? Well, they can contact their local Golden Harvest Seed Advisor or NK Retailer. We'll align them with the opportunities in their area and uh, be glad to to get you uh, ready and set and go for 2018. Fantastic. Chris Tingle, the head of grower, commercial grower operations there with Syngenta. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, and I think this is a great time to be championing value-added opportunities in rural America like you're doing with Enogen. Yes, thank you for the time. All right. Well, again, that was Chris Tingle there with Syngenta, Enogen, Feed Corn. Interesting stuff that they're doing. Yes, so yeah, it's very, very interesting stuff. Just the process of how this technology is used to make ethanol production more efficient. Definitely some interesting stuff going on. You bet. It's always great to find a way to add value domestically when we look at uh, all the weird stuff 
happening internationally. Well, folks, stay tuned. We will be back throughout the rest of the week. We will probably have a discussion on trade. We will also have all kinds of great discussions going on throughout the week. So stay tuned. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Ag News Daily. And we do have a poll going right now with your opinions on uh, the current trade issues there on Twitter. So find us at Ag News Daily or visit the website at agnewsdaily.com. Ladies, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. go.